Hey friends, this is Hannah Wedger, an agriculture teacher in St. Paul, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, and I'm here to talk all things agriculture education related. Curriculum, classroom management, FFA, career development events, SAEs, and whatever else you want to hear about. It's basically me sharing chapters of my book of agriculture with all of you. Today, I have on Sarah Nursewick. Um, Some of you may know her as uh, Ag Teacher How-Tos. She is an agriculture teacher from Milton, Georgia, and she is going to um, talk with us today about how to implement uh, inquiry-based teaching into your classroom. So let's dig in. Hey friends, um, today I have, and I'm super excited about this, I have Sarah Nursewick and she is an agriculture teacher at Cambridge High School in Milton, Georgia. Um, and we, just a little bit of how we got connected is we are <laughs> Instagram friends. So it's I am so amazed by the world of Instagram and people that I've been able to connect with and really benefit from um, that friendship on Instagram. So I'm going to stop talking and let Sarah tell us a little bit about herself, how she got into um, the profession and all that good stuff. All right. Thanks, Hannah, for having me. I'm super excited and thankful for Instagram for connecting us on the interwebs. But um, (laughs) like you said, uh, I'm Sarah. I teach in Georgia. And um, I guess my backstory about the ag ed world is I went to college not to be an ag ed person. I did not grow up in ag ed. I did not know what FFA was or anything. And randomly, I changed my major to agriculture education as a freshman in college at the University of Georgia. And the rest is basically history. I graduated from Georgia with my bachelor's and master's. And then um, my husband uh, was in the military. So we moved to North Carolina and I started my teaching career there for a couple years. And then I moved back to, to Georgia. Um, I'm originally from Maryland. So Georgia was just where I went to college and started the Cambridge FFA, Cambridge high school ag program four years ago. And I've been there. So seven years teaching. Um, I enjoy it. I'm really more of a specialist in leadership, um, area because I didn't grow up with animals. I didn't grow up with plants. Everyone who knows me on the Instagram knows I kill plants. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm a mama to two cute little kids and, um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. And so when we were kind of chatting and I, I was asking, you know, would you possibly be interested in being a guest on my podcast? Um, we had went over a couple of different things that you might be interested in talking about. Um, but you had mentioned inquiry based teaching, um, and one of the ways that I first really started following you on Instagram was because of your Teacher Pay Teachers account um, and pulling off, pulling some of the resources that you have off of there. And I really felt like you just have a knack for um, inquiry-based teaching. And so I was really excited for you to be able to talk about that today. Yes, I um, love it. <laughs> so I think it would be best for our listeners to be able to just kind of start off with the basics. So um, if you had to explain to someone what inquiry-based teaching is, how would you explain it? 
So I, I always like to start off with it's 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 not as scary as it sounds. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds really scary any anytime somebody talks about it, and a lot of people shut down um, because they hear it and they're like, "I'm sorry, no, I'm just trying to survive." But it's actually a really cool way to um, get kids really engaged in learning. So um, through getting research-based stuff um, to prepare for this to make sure I'm giving you guys good information. So the definition I found is using questions, problems, and scenarios to help students learn through their own investigation. So I feel Mm -hmm. like it's starting your classes, your units, your standards with a question instead of an answer. So a lot of times we stand up in our classrooms in a very teacher-centered learning environment where we stand up and we say, this is what you're going to learn. This is how I'm going to repeat what I said and you'll get a good grade. Instead of doing that, you start with a question um, rather than saying, I don't know, I can't think of a good example right now. Uh, (laughs) Rather than saying like, these are um, the elements of design and floral design. Why I picked floral design is beyond me because that's your expertise in my mind. (laughs) Like, these are the things Yeah. Why don't you have an arrangement up on the table or three different arrangements up on the table and the kids draw conclusions from them, the differences, and they'll probably come up with most of the elements on design because you ask them a question instead of an answer. They already have conceptualized those answers without you having to tell them anything. Um, I was watching a video from somebody I follow. His name's John Spencer, and he's amazing at all of this stuff um you guys should look him up has great youtube videos and he explained it as like if we're in a teacher-centered environment which is not inquiry-based learning it's like for my harry potter people out there in the order of the phoenix it's dolores umbridge teaching it's like a textbook you're going to take a test and then read more in the textbook and take a test Whereas the student-centered or inquiry-based learning is Dumbledore's army that Harry was taking care of. They were learning how to do the spells and things through failure um, and through practicing and, and tweaking things. And then they were learning through that and kind of at their own pace. So that's kind of what inquiry is, I guess, in like a little nutshell. is just starting with a question instead of an answer. And that's fabulous. And I really appreciate that you use the Harry Potter um, example. Yes. I admittedly am not a Harry Potter like fan and have only read the first book. Oh, um, no. I haven't watched any of the movies, but every single one of my guests so far are Harry Potter fans. So I feel like I should probably get on that train. <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> um, so what are some examples of how you use inquiry? So I try and use inquiry like all the time. Um, I feel like I'm having a midlife crisis in my teaching. (laughs) I've only been teaching seven years, but I'm so over giving tests and doing lectures. I'm just, oh gosh, Hannah. um, (laughs) This is like my passion project is I'm trying not to lecture for the rest of the year and trying not to give typical tests because somebody said it and I don't know who it was. You can Google any answer to any Mm -hmm. question and find an answer or find 88,000 answers. So why are we teaching kids just to, you know, like memorize and repeat answers when, when you go into the workforce, you are, most of the questions you're going to have to deal with from your bosses are not going to be 
Google Googleable answers. Yeah. If that makes sense, like you're actually going to have to be creative and, mm-hmm. and figure things, problems that don't just have a two plus two equals four answer. So, I mean, I do it on the first day. I bought a teacher pay teacher thing from right on with Miss G, who I love. And it's an investigate yeah. the teacher activity where instead of me standing up and doing a PowerPoint about myself, I let the kids search around my room, go behind my desk, look at my pictures, look at my posters, and they draw conclusions about how they think I'm going to be as a teacher and things about me without me having to stand up there and say it. So they're, they're kind of getting out of their comfort zone already, their first day of school. We do a lot of scientific stuff because that's the easiest way, I guess, to get into inquiry, but I don't, I try not to do only science-based stuff and I'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. Um, but SAEs, I feel like, are literally inquiry-based learning. And yes. if these kids have an SAE, like, they're learning by failing and figuring things out. They have a garden or they're starting a business. Like, they are doing that all on their own. Um, I do agri-science fair with all of my basic ag kids, um, and that's inquiry-based learning. So I try and, you know, fit it into all of my classes if it's not just – a semester long project or SAEs, it's something else, maybe a a one, you know, a one day lesson. That's great. Yeah. I really want to try to investigate the teacher next year. I've seen that in a couple different places and it's just like, it's so cool. And I feel like they will get so much more out of it than me. Just like, these are pictures of my kids. Here is the school I graduated from. Like, you know, yeah, and they, they hear it from eight other teachers that day. Yeah, yeah. Because we think that's cool, and it's not. <laughs> They're over it. They want to actually, they sit down for the first week of school in a chair with adults barking at them, basically. Yeah. Like, let them get up and do something. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. So when we're thinking about inquiry-based um, teaching, what are some common myths that you've stumbled upon or that people maybe are a little bit worried about or... Um. Yeah. I think that a lot of people are worried about, like, I don't teach science, even though we're all teaching agriculture. A lot of the people that are listening to this teach ag and everything is back in science. But you don't have to use it just for scientific experiments. I think a lot of people put inquiry in the box of just science, just, you know, figuring out things with microscopes and scales and all that kind of stuff, which is true. And that's awesome. But you can use it for literally anything. Like you can use it in FFA, employability skills, soils and, and breeds like animal breeds. You could use it in anything. It's just really taking teaching away from a teacher centered and lecture based, um, you know, classroom to a student centered and facilitation of teaching. Mm -hmm. And that scares people too, especially I guess new teachers who haven't figured out the rapport and their classroom culture yet. Because they're like, if I just give the kids the reins, they're gonna like be climbing on the roof of school. But obviously (laughs) the teacher is there, you know, you're you're helping them through this process. So I think a lot of people don't think they can do it because they're like, oh, there's no way I could give that class that much freedom. Um, So a lot of it goes back to your classroom culture and how you run your classrooms and how much you can do. Um, But knowing you don't have to do it science, um, science based. And it's really just trying to think of any of your your content and how can you step away a little bit and give the kids a little bit more ownership over it. I mean, 
like I said, I'm more in the leadership realm. So when we talk about FFA and CEEs, Mm -hmm. some of my favorites are marketing plan and ad communication. And that is literally inquiry-based learning. The kids are trying to figure out this is the audience for this business. How are we going to advertise to that business and and that business to this audience and figuring out what's going to work, what's not going to work. I mean, they're literally doing inquiry-based learning as a CDE, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's in everything we do. And I just don't think we define it as that in everything we do. So you're probably already doing it. You're just not calling it that. I I totally agree with you. I think a lot of teachers are already doing it and they're just, they're absolutely not just, they're just not calling it out for what it is. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting too that um, just to kind of have the idea of like, how, I like that you've kind of tried to make it a goal to not lecture and stuff, but I think that really helps to push us outside of our comfort zone in like so I have this lesson coming up. How can I make it inquiry based or how can I switch it up so that I'm not in front of the students and they are exploring and doing the work and uh, and learning and building skills. And I just I really think that's great. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't have to be for for you and anybody who's thinking about this. It doesn't have to be a whole unit you're doing inquiry based. It could be one part of one lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be 10 minutes of your lesson plan that you just flip it instead of like saying this part of the PowerPoint, I'm going to figure out a different way to teach them. So don't think you have to jump off the deep end like I have, but I've been doing this (laughs) for a while. A a lot of my background into getting this was I was part of the national agri-science teacher ambassador program um, a couple summers ago. And they taught us all of this literally through inquiry based learning. They threw us off the deep end and said like, figure it out. And it was very, very scary but then I got to feel what my students felt like. And I was like, I can do this. I can do a little bit here, a little bit there. And every semester, or every unit, I got a little bit better. So don't think you have to like go crazy and say, okay, I'm not doing lecture anymore because Sarah said so. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe pick one class. Like I'm much better at doing this with my basic ad class because I know that curriculum so well. Whereas I'm picking up a new prep next year that I haven't even looked at the standard yet, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably not going to be doing it too much <laughs> when I'm trying to figure out those standards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you had mentioned when we talked about some of the common myths that um, sometimes it can be kind of scary for teachers who are not quite sure of like the classroom management piece of it. Um, so how can teachers use inquiry and man- maintain control of their students? So I am a huge um, advocate, I guess, of classroom culture um, and making sure you have some type of um, responsibilities and, and rules and um, routines that your classroom can run basically without you. Um, Like, for example, I do opening ceremonies to start my class, and there have been times that I'm not in the actual classroom when classroom starts, and my kids are starting the class without me because they know that's the expectation. So you need to make sure however that works in your classroom, you have that set up so the kids know they're not allowed to jump on the roof. They're not allowed to go outside. They're not allowed to do all these things, depending on your situation, because you might have a shop right next door, or you might have a greenhouse that attaches to your classroom, making sure you have all those rules and routines figured out first. Um, but when your kids are doing inquiry, the teacher, the teachers are still facilitating and you're not checked out. So making yeah. sure that you set up a way that you're still checking in with kids. Um, maybe you set up 
in the middle of the room, if you have an extra desk and it like you're now at the center of the, the room as like a question desk. So if they have a question, they can come to you or you're just rotating around throughout the class and checking on class, uh, checking on students, or maybe there's a certain part of this process that they need to get checked in with you. We did that a lot at the National Agri-Science Teacher uh, Academy mm-hmm. is that at certain parts of our experiment or our, um, our learning, our project, we would have to see the teacher and get like a stamp yeah, or, or get <laughs> get checked off by them or yeah. we couldn't move on. So if I'm doing like a kid is my students are creating their own experiment. I don't want them just going and doing it on their own before I check it and make sure it has the proper, you know, steps of, of the scientific method. They're not missing something. They don't have too many variables. They're not like, you know, sometimes yeah. I'll let them fail even if they like, they don't realize it, but for safety reasons, we might yeah. want to check that too, but yeah. you're still involved in the learning. It's not like you're just going to sit back down and be like, okay, see you later. Um, you're providing guidance. And I always love talking about the zone of proximal development. I think it's the only thing I remember from my educational psychology class from college. I don't know what else <laughs> I learned in there, but the ZPD or zone of proximal development, like your, your kids, if you think of a circle, I'm looking at a picture right now of it. Um, like right now your kids are in a circle and they feel super, super comfortable in that circle right outside that circle is their zone of proximal development because without like uncomfort or um, without stepping out of your comfort zone, you're not going to grow. But then there's also another circle outside that zone of proximal development, which they're just not ready, ready for yet. Yeah. Like, I am not going to be a concert pianist anytime soon. Like that is beyond my reach. But like, if somebody wants to teach me how to play hot cross buns, you know, like that could be in my ZPD. Yeah. (laughs) Right now it's nothing. Like Mary had a little lamb, maybe in the wrong key. Um, So making sure we're still guiding them and making sure the kids are curious and helping cultivate that curiosity. Um but still maintaining control of your class because you never know when you're going to get observed and you don't want a kid to get hurt or anything like that as well. So set up your classroom culture on day one. I'm, I don't agree with people who say you don't smile until Christmas. I don't know if anybody else got that from their college. Oh my. <laughs> Did you hear that? There's just us at Georgia. We always heard like, don't smile until Christmas. And if you know uh-huh. me, like that is not possible. If you're listening to me, you probably think I'm 12 years old. Like I can't yell. My voice just gets higher. So I have to create a cl- classroom culture that works for me and my students. And it's not going to work for somebody else. Yeah. So make sure you set your classroom up for a way that will work for you guys. Um, so this can be successful. I like that. I use um, like checkpoints a lot. So students need to complete this point and then you need to come get a stamp from me. And students respond really well to that. And I've always, actually, when I first started teaching, um, I always felt like I needed to, like, attach points to that stamp or, like, you got to this point, you get, or this, like, you know, part of the process, you get five points for it. And I had a, a former principal of mine say, like, students can do work and you don't have to always give them a grade for it. Um, and Amen. so it was really eye-opening eye-opening and really cool and at the school that I'm at now I started off with just the stamp and 
And they, it was so amazing to me because they, every single student would still come up and get a stamp. And I'm like, wow, this, this is awesome. So just something to share. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I do that for like agri-science fair and for SAEs to make sure they're they're keeping up with stuff, making sure there's checkpoints because I know those those huge projects you give them or those huge harder things that they're doing, they're going to need that structure. Yeah. You can't just say on the first day of school you have an agri-science fair due in December and then just be like, good luck. <laughs> like that's not going to work for yeah. freshmen. <laughs> um, so, so those checkpoints, stamps, you know, they might be – like super into stickers, you know, sticker chart, throw that back to kindergarten. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so this is one of our questions from Instagram. Uh, and the person asked, how can you encourage your students to dig deeper? So I think the easiest way to do this and the easiest way to remember is just ask why. Like, why do you think that? Why do you think that's true? Why does that happen when you do that? Um, if they're able to explain that, or if they're not able to explain that, they're going to have to dig deeper and figure that mm -hmm. out or just add something on top of it. You know, like, well, you learned that this happened. Why not try it with this? You know, if you're thinking like doing different elements mm -hmm. or, you know, different parts of an experiment, like, okay, you got this result. Why? And then just start there. And hopefully that'll get their brain ticking. And then it'll get them into something else they're interested in. Rather than you just saying, okay, good mm -hmm. job. You answered this correctly. Moving mm -hmm. on. I like the questioning part. I always have students who get so frustrated when I do that. Like, so why do you think that? And then they're like, well, I, I don't know. And then you can see them like just the wheels are turning. And it's kind of a fun, fun process. <laughs> For sure. Um, so teachers who are, this is kind of interesting because I, as most of the agriculture teachers that I know do a lot of creating their own curriculum and pulling pieces from various different places. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe for agriculture or maybe for teachers who aren't agriculture teachers who are listening to this, um, what, are, what can teachers do um, who are provided with only traditional instructional materials? Um, so... Yeah, a lot of the stuff I do inquiry-based is stuff I just make up in my head. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I mean, the Investigate the Teacher, I think, is the only thing I actually purchased. Yeah. That wasn't just something I was like, hmm, how can I change this lesson? So, I mean, I'm trying to think of, uh, I just teach ag, um, <laughs> something else that I could do as an example. So try and think of what is your end goal for your kids? So if your end goal is for your kids to, I don't know, Hannah, help me. Well, I'm we, trying to think of something not agri-related. the soil science uh, and so like soil okay. structures, which I think would be a good example to use for anyone. Yeah. So uh, yeah, because they teach that in elementary school and all, all yeah. that stuff. So if you're talking about, you know, soil structures and the different types, um, Instead of standing up in front of them and saying, okay, this is granular, this is blocky, blah, 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 blah. And then they go, and I know a lot of people, and I love this, do um, like Play-Doh with them, um, which is a great after activity. Why don't you put soil that has those different um, soil structures underneath a microscope, have them set up, 
have don't say anything about soil don't say anything about soil structure let them look let them gather um inferences from looking at them maybe they draw it out and write what they think about them what they think the shapes are what would they call those shapes on their own and then you can come back they could do like a think pair share or they could do a group table activity to figure out what they thought the common themes were and i would bet that 75 to 80% of the stuff that you would have taught in a PowerPoint, they are going to be able to figure out just from looking at something. So then you can go and go to your PowerPoint or whatever worksheet, show them what the soil structures are, and then they can do that cool Play-Doh activity. But I feel like when kids actually discover the answers on their own, it'll be more concrete in their brain. And then they'll also be like, wow, I knew that. I figured that out on my own. She didn't have to tell me. And they'll probably like retain it better than just, mm -hmm. you know, uh, lecturing to them. So that was like, you're just thinking of the end. So I still need them to know these structures, but how can I teach them without me having to like stand up and just yell it at them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, in inquiry-based teaching, um, is it ever okay to tell students the answers to their questions? I say yes. Like inquiry-based learning isn't like I'm going to start today and I'm going to only teach inquiry-based learning. You know, like I'm not going to do any other type of learning. They're just going to have to learn it on their own. I'll just be around mm -hmm. here to, you know, give them grades. So especially at the beginning. So like I said, my freshman basic ag class, it takes a little time for us to to get to the point that I can just be like, okay, you guys can figure this out on your own. Um, and it again, it's it could be a section of a lesson, not even an entire lesson, not an entire unit. Um, for example, uh, I love this and I've done it with my class uh, at the academy. We had to do an a, a experiment none of us had done before, but we were only given a card that said, I mustache you a question with mustache on it. <laughs> super cute. Um, but we were only allowed to use it once. So when we're in our group, instead of, in a normal situation, we probably would have asked 10, 15 questions to the teacher, but then we're like, oh no, we don't want to use it, our question card. Let's talk amongst ourselves, figure something out before we ask the teacher. Like literally I had kid ask me to go to the bathroom and I took their question <laughs> card. So, you know, and then they were like, oh my gosh, don't, it's so funny when a kid's like, let's, I'm using the card and the other kids will like grab the card <laughs> from them, like yelling, we're not going to use the card. <laughs> so funny but that's giving them power to not ask a question but again like there's certain times that you have to help them out um especially if you're just learning I know there's a lot of middle school teachers um out there who would love doing this or have done this and it's it's tough to just be like you know fly free yeah. <laughs> so yes please please answer questions um but it is kind of cool to see them, to see them struggle. And then you have that, that culture in place that says, well, let's try and struggle a little more before you ask for a rescue. Yeah. I always, I love doing this where students will ask a question and, um, or ask like, is something right? Um, and I will always go, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> maybe yeah. and they're like no why are you doing that again I don't know 
So <laughs> I like the I like the mustache question card though because then that's kind of mm-hmm. fun, like you said, but it it kind of makes it more of a group thing as well. And should we use your card or not use your card or all that good stuff? So that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what about saying no? So like a student comes up with an investigation that they want to do or they propose. Um, is it ever okay to say no? Absolutely. Like, it's okay to say no. I've had to say, I've had to say no for a few agri-science fairs um, due to safety of either the children or the animals they were proposing their agri-science fair for. <laughs> um, so if that happens, if they're interested in cer- certain topics, so let's say animals, um, I try and just steer them and guide them into a safer alternative alternative in the same topic area. I do this more in agri-science fair. Um, I've also done uh, 20 time or passion projects where I gave them one day a week for the entire year um, for them to do something they're passionate about. Uh, And I think somebody decided to go vegetarian to kind of try it out or vegan. I can't remember. It's been a few years, but I spoke with their parents before that. Okay. You know, because it was, it was, doing something that was changing her diet, you know, we're told by our vets not to change your animals over right away. So don't want that to happen to a kid. I think a kid wanted to try a new food every day, something like that. So I was like, let's talk to your parents (laughs) make sure that's okay. So, so simple things like that, just like CYA kind of stuff. But um, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's okay to say no. A lot of the stuff you do in your classroom, there's not going to be that kind of issue to say no but for for the ones that they're doing outside of class for sure definitely check what they're doing yeah I think that's good just give teachers permission to say no (laughs) yeah yes say no Uh, so is it more important for students to learn the abilities of scientific inquiry or the scientific concepts and principles oh (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm going to get on my All right. <laughs> um, so I kind of alluded to it before, but like we live in the age of Google. I grew up in elementary school and middle school with card yes. catalogs. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't have a cell phone until I was older in high school. Like we have the knowledge of the world. I think, I think it's Rachel Hollis who I'm obsessed with. And it says like, uh, oh gosh, she says something about ignorance is a choice. Mm-hmm nowadays because you can google anything right now so i looked up photosynthesis just quickly or the equation for photosynthesis google it and in less than a second you'll get 8.9 million results and 30,000 videos explaining the equation to you like teaching you the equation okay why do i need to teach them that equation instead of having them learn through inquiry how does photosynthesis actually work by planting and you know doing an experiment that takes away a part of the equation of photosynthesis so they can see what actually happens to that plant and having kids fail I mean failure is so important to our kids I see it a lot at my school that failure is heart crushing Mm -hmm. to my students and life is full of failure and failure is not bad you know Failure is just a step in the cycle of success. It's just a step. And I want my students to know that they can fail and it's not the end of the world. They're just going to be 
learning from their failure. You know, we fail. I fail all the time. I'm pretty sure I tripped in class today. That was a failure. So then I moved that thing that was in my way. (laughs) So I don't fail again. Um, But I totally think that we need to be teaching them abilities and not necessarily, they'll get the concepts by learning through inquiry and learning through failure and learning through project-based learning instead of just, just giving them plug and chug answers. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I'm so happy you got in your soapbox. (laughs) Oh gosh. Um, How can students do a scientist or a science investigation before they have learned um, like vocab words to help describe the results? All right. I'm happy you asked this question because I use this resource and you can look it up online. Um, It's called a V-Map, V-E-E map. Um, It was created by somebody super smart. And basically it's like a one pager for the, um, for like, a project uh, report or project that, what do you call that? Lab oh, report? Yeah, lab report. Yeah. yeah. Lab report. So you'd have to have the steps. You'd have to have data. You'd have to have vocab words. You'd have to have a word cloud and all this, but it's on a one page document. I use that all the time in my science experiments. Cause let's be honest. I do not want to read a 10 page lab report. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have time for that. So I give out VMAPs a lot. And one of the first things on there, even before writing a hypothesis or steps for the experiment is doing a word list or a concept map, which could be like a word bubble. So you're teaching them. One of the ones we do a lot is uh, uh, does bubble gum weigh more or less after chewing? That's one of the first things I do with my classes to kind of Uh, teach them the scientific method and they have to do a concept map or word list vocab list first and they'll come up with those things like they'll come up with sugar and they'll come up with like sticky tacky um you know sucrose glucose like whatever it might not be the right words necessarily to begin with but at least they're starting to to think about those things and then at the end you can go over that. Or even you could stop there before they even write their experiment or their hypothesis, whatever. And you can go over those vocab words. If it's a little harder thing, like we do something with photovoltaic cells in my class and like electrical wiring is not something my kids are taught or thought about. So when we have to talk about like all that stuff, I'll go over those vocab words first before they move on. Um, so structure it how you want, but they don't need to know the vocab words to understand the concept. Yeah. You know, like they probably understand what's happening with gum as they're chewing it, but they might not be able to put a word to sure. it until later. And I don't think the word's as important as the process. No, I totally agree with you. That's awesome. Um, so if as teachers are kind of dabbling in inquiry, um, how much science subject matter do you feel like they need to uh, be able to know um, to be able to use inquiry in their classrooms the answer is zero (laughs) zero they don't need to know anything about science subject matter to teach through inquiry I will tell you if you follow along you heard about this the past couple you know, from all my craziness in my forestry yeah. unit, I'm terrible at forestry, even worse at plant science. Thank gosh I have good friends like <laughs> at Teach Plant Science and 
Agnes <laughs> Wedger and Lad of the Land on Instagram because you guys helped me so much. But anyway, I decided I didn't want to lecture in my forestry class. So I taught my entire forestry unit through inquiry. I made the kids do a dendrology notebook. I basically gave them the requirements for the notebook, a few links they could use, and then we just did some nature walks collecting leaves. And just kind of like I said, you guys need to figure it out. Use whatever you want to use. We would come inside um, and they'd be like, oh, this one is never green because it's green right now because it's Fair. in winter. And I'm like, good job, <laughs> you know, or like this one looks like the Canadian flag. It was dead at the time. Um, but like that's a, that has to be a maple. And then they're able to figure out these these forestry concepts Without me having to teach them literally anything, I just told them, this is what you're doing. This is what I expect. And then we went on a nature walk for like five days. And the kids even, once they correctly identified something, they would bring it up to me. They'd say, is this right? I'd say, give me a second. I'm going to go check because I have no idea. And then once we confirmed that most likely we're right, we taped it up on the board so people could use it as a key. Oh, awesome. So the kids were helping each other. So right now I still have them up on my wall because I love it. Like it's still, if you ever see my board, they're still dead leaves <laughs> on my board. Um, but they're learning through failure. And I don't know much about trees. I was learning with them. You know, one of the hardest things I've done this year that I'm most proud of is making a forestry startup notebook. Because I don't know anything about forestry. I do a lot now. Like I went and I went out to an arboretum and worked with a master ar arborist yeah. for like a uh -huh. whole day because I needed to learn. But I'm not going to learn if I just sit back and like hope somebody's going to tell me the answer. Like I had to go out and look for it. And um, you, that's not necessarily science matter. You know, how do my kids learn how to market to teachers or to to moms with young children when they're doing like CDEs, they do it through asking questions and, and trying to get answers and interviewing people and figuring it out. That has nothing to do with science. It's just learning through failure and, and just trying to figure out, figure it out on your own. And it was just awesome. It was awesome. Uh, so just a couple more questions. One of them that I have is, and it's kind of like the myths one, um, but a little bit different. And um, what are some some specific roadblocks to watch out for? So um, I feel like maybe pick something that you feel super confident in first. So if it's a unit that you're like, I know this you know, backwards and forwards, maybe starting with something like that might be easier. So when you, you can kind of see what the harder things are because you know it so well, where the kids are going to struggle and where you should provide some, some help and some structure. So it's okay to have worksheets and PowerPoints of the steps, like something I'll do in my classes. If they're doing a project or something inquiry-based, I'm still going to have a PowerPoint up on the board that says, like, these are the things you should be doing. So if they're in confused for a second, they can at least look up at the board and know, oh, I'm supposed to be doing this, or oh, this is the resource I can be using. Um, but just just sprinkle it a little bit, the first, you know, with your freshmen, you know, and again, like you're learning through inquiry by doing inquiry-based learning as a teacher. Yes. <laughs> you know, don't be afraid to just jump in it, do it. It's okay if your lesson fails. Is your kid going to remember that? I mean, they might, but who cares, you know? 
like just come back the next day and try something else. Like get back on the mm-hmm. horse. I'm a huge, you know, obviously I'm all about green and growing, but like without failure, there is no growth. If you don't fail, you'll, you'll, you will never grow. So if you sit in your classroom on cruise control for the entire year, you're not helping yourself and you're not helping your students. So just try it. It's okay if you flop. Um, just learn from your mistakes. Try again. It's all good. Nobody's judging. Yeah, me. I love that. I um, this year had a huge flop. Um, I tried something new with Punnett Squares and totally backfired, like went south really quick. And my students like jumped in <laughs> and they're like, maybe that's not right. We should do it this way. I, I don't think you have the right answers up there. And it actually turned into like, <laughs> the next day, like all of my students and I were on the same page and it just actually turned into a really good learning opportunity because I just kind of owned it and was like, yeah, you guys, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try yeah, don't be out. afraid. <laughs> yeah. Don't be afraid to tell your students you don't yeah. know, or like get their input. I love that you do that because a lot of teachers feel like that that's weakness and it's not weakness. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It was terrible feeling at the time but now I'm like you know what we survived like I'm still here today it's so yeah those are sweet kids I like that um so for our uh listeners what are um any type of resources that you have available for them or any um support pieces that you think would be good for them to check out well, I 100% uh, think the, the starting point for me feeling good in this was doing the National AgriScience Teacher Ambassador Program. Um, I know applications are done for this year. They're usually due around February, I think, every year. I mean, I would not be talking to you about this until I, like, if I didn't go to that. It's incredible. The teachers are ag teachers just like us um, who do this in their classroom day day to day. And it is amazing. So definitely look into that. Also, (laughs) um, little plug, um, I will be doing a session on inquiry-based learning at the Germinate Virtual Summer Conference in July. So if you want to hear more about steps, um, I'll walk you through exactly how to take one standard that we all teach and make it go from teacher-centered to student-centered in just... 15 minutes. That's awesome. Um, I'm super excited for Germinate. And if you don't follow Sarah yet, you probably should on egg teacher how to's so that you can get all the info for that. So it's going to be awesome. Yes. <laughs> and Hannah's going to speak at the virtual summer conference too. So it'll be fun. You will get more information soon. Yes. Follow egg teacher how to's get on the email list. You'll get all the information first. Um, so now this is my, I love the whole podcast, but I really love this final part where I get to ask you some fun questions. (laughs) Um, So one of the questions that I have is who has had the most influence on your teaching career? Um, Bledsoe said so. (laughs) My North Carolina people would know (laughs) what I was talking about. So Josh Bledsoe was uh, the North Carolina Ag Ed leader when I was there. He left to go to National FFA, and now he's back in North Carolina. But when I started my career there, I knew knew nobody. And um, I went to a first-year teacher thing at, at Camp White Lake, and he spoke so much life and positivity to us. Like, I think about, like, talking to him to this day, like, 
he's just encouraged me so much that I was doing awesome things and I can keep going. And he was the first person I ever heard say, if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you rot. (laughs) And I live by that. I mean, my entire basis for my career and my side hustle is like, if you're green, you're growing. You're right. Yeah. So like, he is definitely the person who I look up to. And every year at nationals, I find him and I introduce my students to him. That's like how big of it, like I will search him out in the huge, you yes. know, stadium and find him just so I can be like, guys, this guy is I love that. I love the egg ed world too, because I feel like there are a lot of really cool connections like that, where you do like how you want to search out that person and let everyone know that they're your idol. (laughs) I'm so excited about national convention to meet some of you guys in person. Like I think about it all the time. That's so fun. Um, So another question, what's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Okay, um, so we have a Italian um, brick oven, uh, amazing pizza place called Campagna, like within walking distance to our house. And we have takeout Fridays because I don't feel like cooking on Fridays. And we get Campagna all the time. And I have no idea how to say the name of the pizza. It's like Salsicchia or something like that. They make fun of me every time <laughs> I order it. But it has sausage and ricotta. And it's just amazing, but like it's, it only takes like a minute and a half for them to cook the pizza, oh my which gosh. makes no sense what? to me. It's, it's incredible. It's from, it was imported from Italy. So if you're ever in Milton, Georgia, Campania is the place to right. go. Right. I love that. Um, and then my last question for you is what are um, three of your simple joys? All right. Well, Friday night takeout because I don't yes. have to cook. I, I'm terrible at it. Um, a Starbucks iced latte with light ice. Yes. It's super expensive. So most of the time I get iced coffee because it's like a dollar yes. cheaper. Um, and then I love listening to podcasts, which sounds really lame because I'm on a podcast, which is so cool. <laughs> um, but I love that I feel like the people that I listen to, if I saw them in real life, I'm like, we're yes. friends. Like, I'm friends with Rachel Hollis. I'm friends with Casey Morris. You yeah. know, like, I, they they know me and we're friends because I listen to them all the time. And it's nice to get away, mm-hmm. you know, from from the, the world. I'll think and get all this stuff poured into me, uh, you know, all this positivity. And then I'd be able to be a better teacher after listening to them. Yes. I always feel like podcasts are like free professional development. <laughs> Oh, yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on here today. And um, I'm super excited. If you need to find Sarah, um, Instagram is probably the best best place at eggteacherhowtos.com. Well, that's your website too, but. <laughs> that is my website. <laughs> at eggteacherhowtos is on Instagram. Um, and I'll be sure to link all it up in the show notes. Thank you so much, Sarah. Oh, thank you for having me. You just finished listening to episode four of Egg with Miss Wedger, where I'm sharing chapters of my book of agriculture with each of you. I hope you enjoyed listening and learned a little bit more about inquiry-based teaching and how to implement it in your classroom. For show notes, please visit my Instagram at Miss Wedger for info from our chat today. If you have any questions or ideas on topics you want me to dig in and cover, or 
if you want to be a guest, you can send me an email um, at eggwithmisswedger at gmail.com. I hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye, everybody.